How far should the government go in regulating broadcast speech? Should radio outlets be forced to air all views? And should television networks be fined when profanity is used during prime time? And is the CIA a rogue agency? A veteran national security reporter says America has enemies within the CIA. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. I think both Senator Kerry and I were shocked at uh, the uh, uh, time-worn tactic of once again impugning the patriotism of any of us who you know, raise serious questions about the conduct of war and the policies of this administration. You know, I'm not sure we ought to play Hillary Clinton at the beginning of the program right after my name is introduced. I don't want to be uh, really mixed up with her, anyone to think that uh, that's Penna Dexter. That was Hillary Rodham Clinton. She actually asked the Pentagon for documents to show uh, that it was planning or how it was planning for the eventual withdrawal of U.S. forces from Iraq. Talk about signals to the enemy. Uh, but she later told reporters that she found it offensive because a Pentagon official suggested that asking questions about this planning was helping the enemy. She took offense of that. Uh, you know, they already, the enemy already likes to say that we will abandon Iraq like we did in Vietnam, things like that. So when you have U.S. senators getting these documents and you have the Democrats talking about such things, votes like took place uh, this week in the United States Senate where they debate signaling when and how we're going to withdraw. Those things undermine our efforts uh, and really the positive steps that are taking place. Hillary Clinton said that the administration must plan for the major move that would be withdrawing from Iraq. We need to make sure that we are smarter getting out of Iraq than we were getting into Iraq. Well, they're not starting very well. It seems like uh, the way these stories are being bantied about uh, uh, simply do not bolster our efforts. Uh, President Bush speaking with veterans and military families in the aftermath of the slumber party that took place this week. Of course, uh, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid pulled the defense authorization bill because he could not get support from the Republicans for this plan for troop withdrawal, so he just pulled the entire defense authorization bill. Now the Congress will go on uh, recess before passing any such bill, and uh, President Bush was explaining this to the veterans, to the military families, uh, these groups that support the war in Iraq. He told reporters that Congress is shirking its duty by going on this recess in August uh, without passing this bill. 
Instead, the Democratic leaders chose to have a political debate on a precipitous withdrawal of our troops from Iraq. By the way, the bill does include a pay raise for the troops, and it won't be uh, considered right away. It'll be considered again, probably in September, when General Petraeus and uh, Odierno come back and give an interim report to the Congress. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the battle over reinstating the Fairness Doctrine is taking place in the Senate. And uh, one Senator, Norm Coleman, actually has introduced a couple of bills. Last week, uh, they tried to introduce a bill that would stop the reinstatement of the Fairness Doctrine, which is basically affirmative action for radio, saying that if you have a radio program, you have to present all views on that program. I pretty much wipe out this program. We, t- we try to present both views, but we certainly have a point of view. And, uh, of course, uh, this was to muzzle talk radio. They were very upset that there was so much power uh, that talk radio had in derailing the immigration bill. So everybody's talking about bringing back the fairness doctrine. Uh, but Senator Coleman Uh, from Minnesota, tried to attach a bill last week to a uh, a defense authorization bill to say that the Fairness Doctrine would never come back. That didn't succeed. Tried again yesterday to introduce this as an amendment to education legislation. Again, he was not successful. This will be an ongoing battle. But here's Senator Norm Coleman saying that the Fairness Doctrine is a bad idea. There is nothing fair uh, in uh, about the fairness doctrine today in an age of, of high-speed internet of broadband technology of satellite radio uh, where we have uh, incredible opportunities for people to get access to information the idea about bringing back the so-called fairness doctrine is, is a bad idea and it's certainly not fair we're going to continue to talk about the fairness doctrine this muzzling of free speech on the radio we're also going to ask the question in the next segment should we protect our kids from all bad language on TV is this a good idea or will it lead to too much censorship we're going to take your calls on that issue that'll be next segment Dan Isett from the Parents Television Council will join us and uh, in the third segment we're going to talk about the CIA Rowan Scarborough who is a national security correspondent 20-year veteran with the Washington Times newspaper. Now he's with the Washington Examiner. He's got a new book out called Sabotage, America's Enemies Within the CIA. Has the CIA become a rogue agency? We're going to ask him that question later in the program. We're also going to ask you uh, about the Harry Potter book. It's coming out uh, tonight after midnight. People will be flocking to get it should Christians do so. Um, That will be the subject of the fourth segment in today's program. So we have a packed show today here on a Friday. But going back to the Fairness Doctrine, I wrote a piece this week for the Baptist Press. Uh, They published it yesterday. You can still get it if you want to go into their search engine. It would be bpnews.net. Go to the search engine and just type in Penedexter, P-E-N-N-A, Dexter, and you'll find my latest piece on the Fairness Doctrine. But um, Dr. Johnson, a few weeks ago, interviewed Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, about, uh, Oliver North about lots of things. One of the questions he did ask him was about the Fairness Doctrine. Let's go to that interview. Colonel North, let me ask you one other question. You know, we've been talking about uh, the presidential campaign way ahead of schedule, national security, certainly an undertone in that campaign, and you've run for office before. I'm uh, wondering if what we're doing right now is actually threatened by the so-called fairness doctrine. Uh, What are your thoughts on broadcasting, 
freedom of the press and uh, our rights under the the Bill of Rights well, to do what we're doing right now. I don't think the American people are going to tolerate restrictions on the Bill of Rights. And, I, and I, I'm just not including, by the way, freedom of speech on the radio. I'm talking about the entire Bill of Rights. Freedom of religion, right to exactly. keep and bear arms. The first freedom, the, the Second Amendment, the freedom to keep and bear arms. Yes. I don't think the American people are going to settle for infringements on those kinds of things. I think the vote in the Senate on the immigration bill and what we've seen happening in terms of the backlash when politicians in both parties, by the way, made comments about talk radio. I don't think the American people are going to tolerate infringements like that. What the American people are willing to do is to say, look, if terrorists are using our telephones to plan attacks, we ought to be able to find out about it. And those are two entirely different things. You know, if NPR wants to continue to blast, you know, conservatives, <laughs> that's, that's not going to go away, right. and nor should we expect it to. Right. What we as, as conservatives and as God-fearing people ought to be doing is supporting ministries that put out the word and let other people hear, gee, you know, that's a different idea. That's something I hadn't heard or thought of before. And let the American people decide based on who listens, who watches. That's the success of Fox News. Fox News isn't a conservative network. It simply allows conservatives to have a voice which other networks didn't do. And so the great success of Fox News Channel has been simply, yes, we'll let everybody have a voice. And now we're number one, and it's number one not because we're a conservative network, we're not. We simply have conservatives on air who couldn't get on the air any other way. Our number is 800-881-9270. What do you think? Do you think we ought to have affirmative action for the radio? Members of Congress right now are laying the groundwork for an effort to revive the Fairness Doctrine. And uh, what this would do would be, if a radio station, if a radio program aired a certain viewpoint, the opposing viewpoint would also have to be aired. It would have to be balanced. And uh, this was a regulation that the FCC adopted in 1949. Anyone who had a broadcast license for radio had to provide this balance when dealing with controversial, uh, controversial issues. But over the years, it was deemed this was no longer necessary in any way, shape, or form, if it ever was. And now we have just such a plethora of media outlets, and really the liberals own the major networks and the print media, Talk radio seems to be dominated by conservatives, and that's because the people like it that way. Every time uh, a liberal network tries to launch talk radio with liberal hosts, it, it fails. It goes bankrupt. Air America is trying again to relaunch, but it isn't having any success. They had to fo- file bankruptcy last year and uh, not doing so well this year. Al Franken and, and others, uh, Janine Garofalo, Uh, Some of these folks who, um, you know, they air the liberal point of view, and that just doesn't seem to, even though it garners a portion of the market, the dominating shows tend to be conservative. So what do you think? Uh, Do you think we ought to have this balance on the airwaves? Should it be forced by the government? Or should we go forward and try to kill this fairness doctrine Uh, Once and for all, there was a survey that was released in June that showed that 91% of weekday talk radio programming is conservative, 9% liberal, and the liberals are fighting back now, trying to bring back the Fairness Doctrine. Let's go to Mitch in Dallas. Mitch, thanks for calling. Yeah, thanks for having this viewpoint. I think it's very, very important, and I believe it is an incredible infringement upon the Bill of Rights. And you're exactly right. Uh, The liberals cannot hold their 
main media source and entrance into the consumer to the to the American public is through television. Any other media source, it's very hard for them to to hold uh, to hold a candle, especially in uh, talk radio. And so they're going to try to legislate and bind the hands of talk radio in order to get their viewpoints on where it won't hold in that market. If you have to pay money, people don't want to listen to liberal talk radio. And the television has been their really medium of choice. Other than that, you're exactly right. They can't really hold any other market source or media source other than television. So they're going to try to legislate against it. I don't see how it can stand. It is an absolute infringement on the Bill of Rights, you don't have to be a Mensa member to see that. I, I'm not even sure why. Mitch, let me ask you, why do you think that talk radio just doesn't succeed for liberals? What is it about conservatives that succeed in talk radio? I have my own thoughts, but what do you think? I think it's more of a, it's a, to be, if we're just to use the broad term liberalism, it's a very emotional it's a very emotional basis and a very emotional core. And when you listen to conservative talk radio, you're talking about logic. You're having a conversation on the basis of something that you really got to be a little bit intellectually. You got to you got to want to listen to the meat of it. Whereas if you listen to it on TV, you can listen to some. You can watch someone rant and rave and very entertaining. But there's not a lot of substance to it. When you listen to conservative talk radio, it's a lot of meat and potatoes that makes sense. And that's not really entertaining. I mean, it's a great show. It's a great show. I don't listen to your show to be entertained. I listen to your show to be informed, to listen and be able to make judgment on what is truth. And you can't... the the topics that are bantered about and talked about on liberal shows, they can't hold a candle to it. There's not a lot of logic and basis to it. So Mitch, thank you so much for your call. We are coming up on the end of the segment, and I, th- I resonate with your comments. I think it's uh, the idea that you can't get much information from a soundbite, and that busy and productive Americans can still absorb a lot of information through radio, and that is one reason why it is so successful. Ladies and gentlemen, we do continue to take your calls on the issue of the Fairness Doctrine, affirmative action for radio. Also yesterday, a vote in a Senate committee trying to protect children from hearing bad language, fleeting expletives. Good idea, bad idea. We'll take your calls, 800-881-9270. Generations of ministry leaders have one common point, a ministry education from the Criswell College in Dallas. To date, ministry leaders from the Criswell College are in service all over the world. With the fall term just around the corner, your education can follow this same distinguished path. An education from Criswell is grounded on the Christian worldview, witness, and God's Word, the Bible. The Word and Worldview focus of Criswell gives you a more effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ and prepares you for kingdom service. The fall semester registration is August 15th, 16th, and 17th. Classes begin August 20th. See chriswell.edu for details on classes and the Master of Arts in Christian Leadership degree. 
Criswell students are ready for the challenges of today's ministry environment. Classes in evangelism, missions, preaching, communications, all are fully accredited and small class sizes point the focus to your success. Find out more at 800-899-0012 and on the web at criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Jerry Johnson Live. We are talking about uh, indecency versus free speech, in a sense. There are lots of considerations here, and yesterday the Senate Commerce Committee passed a bill, really moved it forward, uh, that basically affirms the FCC, the Federal Communications uh Commission's ability to restrict the use of profanity and also indecent images during times when children are most likely to be watching television. And uh, let's listen to this report from Jim Brown in Washington. In June, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals handed down a ruling that bars the FCC from fining broadcasters that air so-called fleeting profanities on the public airwaves during times children are most likely to be in the audience. A bill sponsored by West Virginia Democrat Jay Rockefeller would nullify that ruling by reinstating the FCC's ability to prohibit instances of profanity or indecency during children's viewing hours. Dan Isid is Director of Corporate and Government Affairs at the Parents Television Council. He says the legislation is necessary to prevent the entertainment industry from polluting the airwaves earlier in the day. The Broadcast Decency Bill is co-sponsored by Commerce Committee Chairman Daniel Inouye of Hawaii and Vice Chairman Ted Stevens of Alaska. Jim Brown, Washington. And uh, with uh, with us now is the the expert mentioned in that report, Dan Isid, uh, Dan Isid of the Parents Television Council. And Dan, uh, thank you so much for joining me to talk about this possible, uh, I guess, power that the FCC might have to regulate decency. Uh, thanks so much. It's good to be with you. Dan, we talked before. Uh, you joined us when the Second Circuit Court of Appeals ruled on this, and uh, what they said was the FCC could not stop uh, broadcasters from allowing fleeting expletives during children family viewing hour when uh, kids are most uh, watching. In a sense, it'd be like an accidental F-word during prime time. Would you say that's a good way of describing it? Well, not necessarily. We're not talking necessarily about uh, uh, would-be accidental utterances of, of profane language like that. Uh, you know, it could be willful as well. And uh, during the past television season, there were several instances of actually scripted profane language like that. And, and really, that's what this is about. Uh, you know, the court only addressed the fleeting nature of such things. And what the Senate Commerce Committee did yesterday was reaffirm the FCC's ability uh, to find broadcasters for these uh, these single instances, these so-called fleeting instances. Uh, we've had this court decision by the Second Circuit, uh, Dan, and Dan Isid is with me from Parents Television Council. And then we've had uh, senators like Brownback try to bring bills to come back and give the FCC this power. Can you explain what they are advocating, and I, I assume it's the same thing that was advocated by Senators Rockefeller and others yesterday, and I've got to mention this is a bipartisan effort here. Well, certainly it is, and and it bears mentioning that this is a bipartisan effort. Uh, uh, Senator Brownback offered an amendment on an appropriations bill last week uh, that failed only because uh, the Senate of the, or excuse me, the, the chairman of the Senate Commerce Committee, uh, Senator Inouye from Hawaii, uh, who who actually chairs the uh, the appropriate committee uh, for for legislation like this 
uh, stepped in at the last minute and said, hey, don't pass this in an appropriations bill. We'll deal with this next week. Uh, so they they put forward a, a separate standalone piece of legislation, and that was vo- what was voted on uh, uh, yesterday by the Senate Commerce Committee. But it essentially does the same thing. Uh, the, the Second Circuit didn't address the, the constitutionality of federal broadcast decency law. All it, all it said was that uh, the FCC uh, didn't arrive at the decision to, to fine in so-called fleeting instances in a way that it liked. Uh, so in, in legal terms, what, what the, the legislative branch in Capitol Hill is trying to do is to say, no, what we meant by broadcast decency law was that even single violations still constituted violations. Ladies and gentlemen, give us a call, 800-881-9270. I think that uh, these senators have uh, some great motives for wanting to clean up the airwaves. And uh, I also appreciate the work of the uh, Parents Television Council in advocating for that over the years. I do have certain concerns, though, about this, and that is, uh, you know, the Republican Party is always saying, you know, we we want to uh, protect free speech. We're the party of limited government. So where do you draw the line between the government controlling, you know, what goes on? I mean, th- there could be a line at certain words, for instance, certain types of language or certain images. But does that bring in the government to controlling content of television to a, a degree that is perhaps too great in the society that uh, we live in. I'd love your opinions on this, 800-881-9270. And Dan, can you respond to that? Sure. And I, I, frankly, I'm really glad that you asked that question because, uh, you know, there there are certain regulations that are both necessary and appropriate and reasonable in these types of situations. What you're talking about here is not really free speech. What you're talking about here is the right to broadcast. And in strictly legal terms, uh, broadcasters have the uh, the ability uh, to air, frankly, unlimited indecency, uh, either before 6 o'clock in the morning or after 10 o'clock at night, when children are much less likely to be in the audience. The Supreme Court ruled on this uh, all the way back in 1977, uh, that, uh, that there is a compelling interest to protect children from indecent content during the times of day when they are much more likely to be in the audience. So all we're really discussing here is not so much whether uh, broadcasters can air an F-word or an S-word, it's whether or not uh, they should have the ability to do that at 8 o'clock at night when we know there are tens of millions of children in the audience. And that's what's really at stake here. And in a larger sense, uh, you know, the, the Congress passed a, a, a bill that increased the fines for violation of broadcast decency law last year. Finally, uh, you know, it just went into years. effect, didn't it? Uh, sorry? It, it just went into effect, it, it did didn't it? Indeed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what these lawsuits really are from the entertainment industry is their ability to subvert the, uh, the law there and their, uh, and their desire to, frankly, to thwart the will of the American people on this issue. Dan Isid is with me. He's with the Parents Television Council. Uh, some people would say, well, parents, uh, you need to pay attention. You need to uh, use that on-off button, that channel switching button, and uh, that's where the controls and the protections for children should come. Uh, the Parents Television Council exists really to uh, help parents because how can parents possibly monitor everything? Uh, and, you know, maybe people should just throw away their TV. I mean, that that's a sector of the uh, Christian community is going to say that. There's really not much there. Well, Go and read a book. That's an unfortunate uh, decision you have to make. But the, the thing to keep in mind is that the people own the airwaves. So when you're talking about a publicly held resource like the broadcast airwaves themselves, it's reasonable to expect things 
and, and programming that doesn't bombard your sensibilities uh, all day, every day on those uh, on those public airwaves. It's reasonable to assume that uh, on a publicly held resource like that, that you'll be able to get some benefit from that, and you shouldn't have to throw your television out the window. Let's go to Donna in Mansfield. Donna, you're on with Dan Isaac. Yes, I wanted to say that I totally agree we need the legislation to monitor the language that's on the television. It's gotten to the point that we've now gone to purchasing cable so that we can choose family-friendly programming such as the Hallmark Channel and things because it's become so out of control that we can't have it on in our house. We have an 8-year-old that, and children that age repeat everything they hear. And so it, it just, it's, we definitely do need it. I totally agree. Uh, Dan, you know, we've been talking earlier in the program about the Fairness Doctrine, and uh, a lot of folks, and I don't know where you stand on that, but a lot of folks say the government should not get involved in policing radio. Uh, And so is it disingenuous to say, okay, we don't want the government involved in policing radio, and, you know, we should allow uh, stations to air what they want to air, and yet uh, policing television? Well, I don't think so. And let me make it clear the PTC is not going to have a position on the reinstitution okay. of the Fairness Doctrine. That's, that's not what we do here, mercifully. Uh, but, but I will say this, is that the, the major difference there is, is that the reason why federal broadcast decency law exists is to protect children. And the, uh, the, the discussion that's ongoing about the reinstitution of the Fairness Doctrine has much more to do with politics in general and content that, uh, that adults are going to watch rather than uh, the protection of children. You know, there is real harm associated uh, to children from, the, uh, from exposure uh, to this type of uh, graphic, sexual, and, and violent content. And that's, that's the issue that we're, we're trying to get at. Dan, you mentioned violence. Uh, there's another bill, or this may be part of the same bill, uh, having to do with TV violence during those hours. Mm-hmm. What about it? Uh, well, Senator Rockefeller is poised to, to, to drop another piece of legislation. This is something that's been of, of great uh, and legitimate interest to him for some time, is, uh, is how uh, one goes about the problem of the enormous spike in violent programming, on, particularly on broadcast television. Our study back in, in January chronicled a 75% increase in television violence just since 1998, so a huge amount of this material. Uh, so what Senator Rockefeller is trying to do is 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 get at that and uh, and get at some solutions that can help protect children from that. Uh, you know, our position has long been uh, that the that the industry has to step up and the industry has to do a better job of uh, of taking responsibility for the products that it creates and and giving parents more and better tools uh, to control that type of content. Dan, uh, do you think there's a sense in which if the networks uh, did a better job at self-policing during those hours, they seem to have done that earlier, uh, back in, say, the 50s and the 60s. Uh, if they did that, we wouldn't need this type of legislation that some folks who are a little bit more libertarian worry about? Well, sure, and it, and it bears mentioning that the only reason we're having to talk about uh, legislation again this week is the fact that the entertainment industry itself, the broadcast networks, uh, brought two federal lawsuits as a result of the passage of last year's fine increase bill, where they argued that they had the right to air the F-word in front of your kids at 8 o'clock at night. And then in another case that's going to go to to the Third Circuit Court in Philadelphia in September, uh, they're arguing preposterously, in my opinion, uh, that the Janet Jackson incident, a strip tease in the middle of the Super Bowl, was somehow not indecent. Uh, so, you know, the, the entertainment industry only has itself to blame uh, because they're the ones who are uh, forcing uh, the hand of the Congress 
and, and making these things happen. So if, if they hadn't done that, if they'd simply behaved themselves, you know, you wouldn't have to have mm-hmm. this Pushing That's the line, really and moving the envelope. Dan, I know I've been arguing with you a little bit here, but I really appreciate the work of the Parents Television Council. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot. It's great to be with you. Next up, America's fighting a war against terrorists. Our next guest says, all the while, there are folks in the CIA trying to undermine that. We'll talk with Rowan Scarborough. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's Penna Dexter. Welcome back to Jerry Johnson Live. President Bush has signed an executive order, that report today, setting limits on the interrogation of terror suspects. Here's Mark Smith from the White House. The order states general rules forbidding torture, which the president insists has never been practiced, as well as cruel or inhuman treatment. But the White House is not disclosing exactly what practices are being allowed, saying that would hand terrorists the U.S. playbook. Press Secretary Tony Snow says Bush's order requires any CIA interrogation to comply with all laws and the Geneva Conventions. He says the main goal is to give agents a sound legal footing and protect them from prosecution as they try to protect America. Mark Smith at the White House. We'll ask our guest about this, but uh, Senator John McCain has said that the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, is a rogue agency. Others have said that this agency, in a sense, is working to tear down and undermine a wartime president. I think that may be surprising news to some folks, but not to our next guest. He is Rowan Scarborough, and uh, Rowan Scarborough is national security correspondent for the Washington Examiner. If you read the Washington Times, as I do, you know him as a 20-year veteran uh, reporting on national security uh, issues. He has some great inside sources in the Department of, of Defense. He also served in the U.S. Navy, and he covered the Pentagon so well for the Washington Times and still does so. And he's got a new book out about the CIA called Sabotage, America's Enemies Within the CIA. A little bit chilling. Rowan, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, my uh, pleasure, Penna. Rowan, uh, is the CIA a rogue agency? Are we talking about a few folks inside the CIA, or uh, is it a bigger problem than we think? Well, uh, rogue agency, that's, a, that's the term, as you pointed out, that John McCain used. Uh, to describe the agency in 2004, not not over torture or any any complaints that generally come from the left, but but the way it was leaking information to damage the Bush administration, and in this case, the way it was chewing up Porter Goss, uh, the man that Bill, uh, that uh, President Bush sent over to the CIA to try to straighten it out, to reform the clandestine service, and to get get, get the uh, get the uh, organization away from leaking all the time and get it focused on the war. So the bureaucracy started leaking very negative stories about him, that he was a partisan, he didn't know what he was doing, he was ruining the place. And the leaks worked because after 18 months, months, uh, Goss was pretty ineffective and he had to leave. How many people at the the CIA are are not team players and how many are leaking? I don't know, but I, I do chronicle in the book a series of damaging leaks some of them to expose programs, some of them to damage people in the Bush administration, to paint them as miscreants, as people who are trying to politicize the Bureau, and thus to bloody them and damage them so they would not be as effective. 
Rowan, uh, before we get to uh, what's in the book, and it is absolutely fascinating and informative, I would say, let's go to uh, what you called the liberal critics and uh, this executive order that was signed today. Was this uh, something that was uh, that's, that's welcome in your mind? Well, sure. I mean, we, we know that in the early stages of the war, we did not have uh, uniform policies in, in place on how to treat uh, terrorist prisoners. We just didn't. And we did it kind of willy-nilly. Uh, in some cases, they were taken from Pakistan to Gitmo. Gitmo was not really ready for them. We were, we were very hungry to get information about al-Qaeda. We didn't know a lot about al-Qaeda. And for the first time, we had people that could tell us about the inner workings of the organization. And some people went over the line. We know that. And so th- th- there's been a constant push from Congress to come up with rules that will make us uh, uh, live in the higher ground when it comes to how we treat people we detain. So that's one of the purposes of these executive orders. It's not exactly clear what exactly we, the CIA did to some of the high-value targets that it held. There's allegations that some of them were given sensations of drowning to get them to talk, and there's other allegations that they were taken to third countries where they could be handled more roughly. So, And some of this stuff probably happened. So this is an effort to have a uniform system uh, on how we treat detainees, and it's not the first one. I mean, about a year ago, the Army put out uniform um, standards for how Mm -hmm. detainees on the battlefield should be kept, uh, should be uh, treated, and that was after uh, a series of detainees died while in custody and about uh, 60 or so claimed misconduct. So it's another step to try to uniform the process. Rowan Scarborough is with me. And, uh, Rowan, you know, we know that uh, the CIA did not uncover, for instance, the 9-11 plot. And then later, uh, this WMD intelligence uh, was not exactly right, and the Bush administration got burned there. But I think the American public, in a sense, has a sense of of forgiveness uh, because, you know, this is a kind of an in-motion type of situation, and you can't always find every single bit of intelligence. But now, um, you know, we think of the CIA in a sense, we uh, uninformed citizens as sort of a patriotic group and that everybody there loves America. Is that not the case? Well, no, I'm not questioning anybody's patriotism. I, that's kind of an area I didn't go down. What, what I do know is that after 9-11, President Bush reached his hand out to the CIA to form a partnership to fight al-Qaeda. And for simply petty political reasons, some elements in the CIA conducted a guerrilla warfare campaign against him by leaking programs, by leaking unsubstantiated charges against people in his administration, by retiring and joining an association that is dedicated to bashing Bush, blaming him as a criminal. And in some cases, they just didn't do the right thing by the president. They didn't follow the right procedures. And that turned out to be to badly embarrass the president in a number of operations, where if they were looking out for the president as they should look out for any president, these things wouldn't have happened. Did something happen during the Clinton administration to sort of change the tone of the CIA? Well, we know the 90s were, was a dark period for the CIA. They, they lost about a third of their clandestine service at the exact time that al-Qaeda was getting bigger and wealthier and more violent. We also know that they rolled up, uh, or I report in my book, that they rolled up bases around the world. They closed them. 
just at the time we needed more eyes on the ground around the uh, around the world, and there was no real shift in focus to militant Islam. There was still rampant careerism practice practice in the clandestine service. No emphasis on foreign language. I'm told that less than 10 percent of the CIA speaks a foreign language. So by 2001, wow. by 2001, it was not ready to go. It was it was it was still a broken clandestine service. And even George Tenet acknowledges that the, that at the end of the 90s, the CIA was in Chapter 11. In other words, it was broken. Well, he was part of the problem. He probably never should have been kept on uh, after the Clinton administration on into the Bush administration. Now he's written his own book critiquing the CIA. Yeah, well, I'd, I didn't judge Tenet whether he should have stayed or should have gone. I just kind of wrote it as Bush wanted to send a signal to the bureaucracy that uh, that he was not going to politicize it. I'm keeping the Democratic director of the CIA, and let's work together. I think that was really the the, the message that Bush had, and and I think he was betrayed a bit by by that loyalty he showed to Tenet. Tenet did not seem to have much interest in stopping the attacks on Bush from his uh, agency, and Porter Goss did when he came in, and and Porter Goss got rough treatment for trying to do that. So you can see the CIA is a rather rebellious place. I guess so. This is uh, Rowan Scarborough, uh, author of Sabotage, America's Enemies Within the CIA. There is so much documentation in here and uh, various stories of these various uh, leaks and other ways uh, that the Bush administration has been not well served and undermined. And uh, I wish I could ask you about many of them, but I'm just going to go to this Valerie Plame affair because so many people are... um, confused by it in a sense can you uh kind of give us some i don't know shed some light on this especially that the, where the cia sort of fell down uh yes. On, yes, of course i, I think this is where the bureaucracy just failed to look out for bush's interest because they didn't really have any interest in doing it uh, you know uh, cheney makes a very legitimate request to the cia he says uh, there, there is a, a report that, that Iraq may be buying or wants to buy uranium from Niger. Let's check it out. So this, what does the CIA do? It lands in a counterproliferation division, and Valerie Plame, uh, Joe Wilson's wife, is there, and she, she, she suggests that her husband do the investigation. She writes a memo saying it would be a good idea to send him, and that's what happens. They send him to Niger to do the investigation. That, to me, is, the, is where the CIA let Bush down. Because if the vice president wants an investigation done, do a serious investigation. Send some spies down there to check it out. Don't send a former anti-war ambassador. That's not fair to the administration. And they never told the, the director or the White House what they were doing. They never told them they were, they were sending Wilson. They wouldn't have approved of that. So I think it was just a total letdown or a total uh, instance of not doing what's right for the administration. Step two, when Wilson leaks his trip, uh, he's trying to rebut the, uh, the, the State of the Union address. He, he does it at a, at, with a New York Times columnist, and Valerie, his, his wife Valerie Plame is there, and he, imp- he implies in the leak that the vice president sent him. He says the vice president's office wanted to investigate this report, and I was sent. So right there, if he is going to write that, he, in a sense, is putting shedding light on his wife because he knows she recommended the trip. He knows the White House didn't know about it. Mm-hmm. And when the column comes out, 
it's going to shed light on her. People are going to start asking questions. How did this answer? So he was really the one that brought her out, not not the Bush administration. Listen, Rowan, I wish we had hours with you on this book. People just need to get the book. Thank you so much for joining me today and for uh, writing this. I think you've done a great service to the country. Okay, well, thanks, Benna, very much. Uh, The book is Sabotage America's Enemies Within the CIA. Next up, uh, the Harry Potter book will go on sale tonight. Will you be in line for that? Should Christians be in line for that book? We'll take your calls, 800-881-9270. Generations of ministry leaders have one common point, a ministry education from the Criswell College in Dallas. To date, ministry leaders from the Criswell College are in service all over the world. With the fall term just around the corner, your education can follow this same distinguished path. An education from Criswell is grounded on the Christian worldview, witness, and God's Word, the Bible. The Word and Worldview Focus of Chriswell gives you a more effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ and prepares you for kingdom service. The fall semester registration is August 15th, 16th, and 17th. Classes begin August 20th. See chriswell.edu for details on classes and the Master of Arts in Christian Leadership degree. Chriswell students are ready for the challenges of today's ministry environment. Classes in evangelism, missions, preaching, communications, all are fully accredited and small class sizes point the focus to your success. Find out more at 800-899-0012 and on the web at chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's Penna Dexter. It's because it's the final book. We're never going to get a chance to do something like this again. Yeah. So, really good atmosphere. And you can talk to loads of other people and meet people who like Harry yeah, Potter too. Yeah, and we will like change, exchange Here's theories on what's going to happen and stuff. Yeah. So it's going to be good. And this is something you can tell your kids about. I was there for the last book. Yeah, exactly. Harry Potter is truly a, uh, a generational um, phenomenon. I mean, everybody. Everybody's reading it, not just one particular subset. They all are. My younger cousin, he's... Uh, about 12 years old, he's reading it, and then I'm sure there are younger people, and then my grandfather is reading it too, and I got my dad to read it. It's just so, so exciting to have something there to fall back on. Like, if I was having a rough time, it was like, it's basically escapism at its best. Is it escapism, or is it evil? Uh, One young reader who's been reading the, uh, the Harry Potter books since she was nine, she's 17 now, She says uh, it's just a book, but uh, she's also waiting in line wearing a cloak lined in green for Slytherin, one of the four houses at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. People are wearing the costumes. They're frequenting the websites. They're learning uh, some of the specifics of witchcraft, wizardry, sorcery. Uh, So the question I have for you is everybody's doing it. Should Christians be reading or getting Harry Potter for their children. It's certainly very popular, certainly well-written. I remember back when the series uh, began and J.K. Rowling published her very first Harry Potter book. It became a bestseller. And, uh, you know, we just wondered what would happen. What influence would this have on young people? Well, now we find a rising um, incidence of uh, Wicca and paganism among our teenagers some of them are actually experimenting with rituals of a supernatural nature. Many of them say that their interest was actually sparked by reading these Harry Potter books. Are they harmless? Uh, some people say that uh, they would just 
get these for their children because their children would actually read instead of watch television because it was Harry Potter. And I guess that was just the only book they could get their children to read. I think that's a disingenuous argument. But uh, we are taking your calls on this issue. Let's go to Lisa and McKinney. Lisa, thanks for calling. Thank you. Um, I do not think that Christians should have anything to do with this. It is witchcraft, and the Bible specifically says we are to stay away from anything having to do with it. And we moved here from Florida and have been visiting different churches, trying to find a church home. And I'm, even this past Sunday, um, my children, I have three children, uh, second grade, sixth grade, going into ninth grade. And my... Um, oldest daughter who is just finished eighth grade after church i had asked you know what did you learn in class what did you guys discuss in the youth group and she told me that every single one of the children all all the eighth graders were talking about how excited they were about this new harry potter book and i was stunned that this was happening in church and i said well surely you know the the teacher said something and she said no she said that she loved it too and she was all excited about the new book coming out and how am i supposed to trust my children to a youth group at any church, because this is not the only church this has happened at, but how am I supposed to tr- entrust my children to the church when they're not standing up against this? You know, that really uh, shows how this has infiltrated the church, and I think in a sense uh, there may be um, a bit of biblical illiteracy going on, people not understanding that this is uh, proscribed in the Word of God, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. And um, are you still there, Lisa? I think uh, she's gone. But um, I think we really have to stand up against this. I don't think that you can um, really get by without presenting the youth leaders who are doing this with the scriptures and just showing them that this is wrong. I mean, how can they argue with the scriptures? I suppose that they They would, they might, but in uh, the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 18, it talks about uh, sorcery and witchcraft, and uh, we are continuing to take your calls, I might mention. If if your church is speaking out against it, we'd love to know. We'd like to get that view, too. The number is 800-881-9270, but in Deuteronomy chapter 18, in verse 9, it says, talking to the Israelites, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. And in a sense, uh, we should not be imitating the world with regard to things like Harry Potter, no matter how popular this might be. Um, young children especially, they really don't need to be tasting this. They don't need to be digesting this. And if they do, they need to get the right view of it from their parents and uh, from other sources. There are books out there that uh, basically debunk Harry Potter or refute some of the things that are in Harry Potter. But in chapter in verse 10 of uh, chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, it says, There shall not be a found among you anyone who makes a son or daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. How clear can you get? For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Again, the number is 800-881-9270. Michael is in Grapevine. Hi, Michael. Hi, how are you? Great. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to make a comment that I think it's very important for the parents to take the stand first and instruct their children as to what is uh, um, 
proper reading material and what Harry Potter is all about. My uh, daughter of 12, all of her life, has uh, heard about uh, what Harry Potter is really about and it's been pointed to scripture, and, and now she's taking a stand among many friends who embrace Harry Potter and, and the book. But she's taking a stand and uh, has been getting a little bit of persecution for it, but she is uh, standing her ground. That is a wonderful opportunity, though, for her to do so. Of course, she needs support in doing that, not only from her parents, but just uh, good information and good theology. And I appreciate that call, because I think in in any situation where we have something evil in the culture, uh, it, is an, it is an opportunity for Christians not only to share the gospel and to share the love of Jesus Christ for people who do not know him, but also to share the truth uh, to Christians who may be weaker. And in the book of Galatians, uh, it does address uh, this whole aspect of idolatry and witchcraft. In uh, chapter five, nineteen, it says the acts of sinful nature of the sinful nature are obvious. It makes a list of them, and on that list, in verse twenty, is idolatry and witchcraft. These are the acts of the sinful nature. It's not something we ought to be uh, immersing our children in. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, next week is going to be a very special week here on Jerry Johnson Live. A little bit of variety for you folks, uh, because um, as you know, Dr. Johnson has been traveling with students uh, from the Criswell College. Uh, That is part of his mission as president of the college uh, and part of their wonderful experience here at the college. So he is still going to be gone next week, although I do believe he will be back the week after that. And uh, I also am going on vacation next week. So we've got some very special guest hosts. Kirby Anderson from Point of View Talk Show, National Director of Probe Ministries, and uh, a good friend of mine, a colleague of mine, someone who uh, you will benefit from. He will be hosting for Monday and Tuesday on the program. Dr. Barry Creamer, a favorite here from the Criswell College, professor uh, here at the college, will be hosting on Wednesday and Thursday. And then you're going to have a very special program, two college students uh, and uh, very brilliant young people, Andrew Bear and Caroline Lewis, We'll be hosting on Friday. Join us next week. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.